There's so many pieces missing in this conversation you and I are having, not least of which is the rite of passage held by community itself. The the, line, the lineage of that, the um, the known containers of it, like we would go into a teepee, there would be a fire, there would be songs you sing, drum beats you drum, um, roles you fulfil. I think human beings need the rituals and the containers and the arriving and the landing and the eldership. We were talking about elderhood um, yesterday with the Dumbo Feather community and all of these things are like ghosts from the past that we're kind of calling forward to this moment and and we're on the precipice of this conversation we're going to have today around reintegration. And Okay, let's start this conversation today with our check-in. But I want to just finish this thing about reintegration. You're just starting it. But just to say it's it's too soon. We haven't gained enough wisdom in this transformation period. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah. Well, who defines too soon? You know, we all want, we all think that time is an unlimited resource. You know, we all think that all of these things, you know, it happens when it happens. We've had six weeks, eight weeks, you know. Oh. I mean, yes, I agree with you. I would like to have had more time, but the reality is this is the amount of time we've had. Mm. All right, check in. <laughs> would you like to start? <laughs> no, I'm too full of feeling. I need to organise myself. I'm going to listen. Okay, so my check in. Well, I've been very much feeling, it's interesting we're talking about reintegration today because I'm feeling the approach of reintegration and my truth is I'm feeling with quite some dread um, and progressively they are relaxing the social distancing or the, yeah, the different restrictions brought about by the coronavirus lockdown and while, you know, intellectually I know it's a good thing if people are able to get out and about again and exercise and go back to work and all of those things, but from a honest, purely selfish point of view, you know, I have really enjoyed my period of time at home. I've really enjoyed and been hugely challenged by having family here, and I would like more time. I've been reconnecting with my land where I live. I've been doing many things. And I feel like um, all of a sudden that time is being, you know, looking like it's going to get cut and there were more things that I wanted to do. And, and in fact, as part of my check-in, if I think back to the list of things I was going to do at the beginning of lockdown, I've done very few of them. But the things I have done have created just as big a list and as important, if not more important, it just didn't happen in the way I sort of thought that I would control it. So it's been a very interesting time and I feel like, you know, the challenges and the opportunities are, are very entwined at the moment. They are like bedfellows. So one of the greatest opportunities for me has been having the family up here, as I've said a number of times, and one of the greatest challenges for me has been having the family up here, as I've said a number of times. <laughs> and um so, you now I've actually had some very profound moments, especially with family and with my own son and my stepchildren and in my relationship. 
And the most important thing for me now, what's really on my mind and what we're going to talk about today is how to take that into the next stage of our lives. And it's not when we go back to normal. We can't go back to normal and, uh, you know, we don't want to go back to normal. But whatever it is we go back to, how do we make sure that what we take and how we are and, and, and you know, the changes that happen are, are positive and that we don't waste this incredible opportunity that we've had. Um, and my final part of the check-in would be I really look forward to these um, uh, podcasts that we're doing, Barry, because I'm finding them very rich and very stimulating and they take me, because of the time that we're allowing, they take me beyond what I would normally express into deeper places because you are such a great um, person to explore with and I'm really enjoying that. Beautiful. Thank you, Anna. Um, same. I'm also finding this a very rich and useful conversation as well. You can't say that about all conversations, but this one has got so many provocations. This particular conversation container that we've been holding over these weeks, um, it felt very alive in me that we should have it right now, that it would be useful and and for me personally, it's been quite remarkable. And for a lot of people I know and love, they're sort of tapping into it as well and are really grateful um, for the framing. So thank you. Um, my check-in is I feel really good today. I feel really alive. I feel really sensual. That That's something that happens to me when I'm rested and my nervous system can kind of drop in and keep dropping in as I get really sensual, a kind of like honeyed, honeyed energy where the smells, sounds, everything has just got this kind of juicy aliveness and I love that. Um, that reminds me of being, you know, a kid or a teenager when the whole world felt like it was this sort of technicolour aliveness and I'm feeling that. Um as you know, I, I sort of didn't record the part where I was um, challenged by our 12-year-old at the moment who is grappling with character-building choices <laughs> um, that are, you know, it's also visible in our family. We're all so in the sardine box together and it's wonderful and it's challenging, just like you were saying. I've been thinking the last 24 hours just nonstop about the question of what has transformed in me. Like coming out the other side, for me, what is different? What am I going to do differently? How's it really going to, other than the sort of externalised realities, we won't be flying as much, business is going to be different, who knows what the economy is going to look like. Um, Australia or New Zealand are having a national cabinet, a joint national cabinet meeting today. I mean, wild and amazing externalities. But for me, Barry, and for Danny, my husband, we were just like really in this deep conversation about what has changed and really sitting with that question has been quite enlivening because inside that are a lot of things that you've been talking about with me in this conversation, like what are our gifts and can we get back to our essential gifts and just like live out the rest of our lives in that state of gift from a place of joy and abundance? Um, when there's, you know, so much choice for what you can do, but but why are we here? So really deep, 
big, rich questions and um, no answers, but that's usually, you know, you're onto something good when you're not full of answers, just swimming in the questions. So that's me. Well, I, I then have to start with the question. <laughs> you may not have all the answers, but I want to know, <laughs> I'm very interested to know, what has changed in you, Barry? What, 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 you know, because there will be some things you don't know, but there will be some other things which you absolutely know has changed in you because this is very, it's a great segue into reintegration. I came up with two things I know. I know that I experience most life-giving joy and centeredness and self-love when I am invested in community in community building and community contribution and I'm like leaning into that across different forms of community, the community itself um, in its most authentic form and when I am creating and making stuff from a place of love and connection. Mm. And so those are my two kind of roadmaps for what I say yes to on the other side of this. And I think that Dan and I with Small Giants and, and everything we've done have sort of experimented with as much of ourselves three-dimensionally as we can with valuing all forms of capital and, and, and creating businesses and entrepreneurial ideas and things that were provocations in the market. Like, look at this orientation. We could do it this way. And and that's all been awesome and and I probably would want to like narrow it narrow it down a bit now going into this sort of second phase of life and life after covid make it a little bit more potent in its contribution well i'd like to answer the same question i asked you even though yes. that wasn't the intention i asked you about what's really changed or what have we learned mm. um and it doesn't have to be sad, by the way, because, you know, the whole aim is to take the whole aim of, I'll keep bringing it back to reintegration, is to take what we've learned into the next phase. And if we don't take what we've learned, we've actually wasted and missed the opportunity. So I'm much more interested in how we make sure that it's not sad and it's the opposite. It's like how fabulous that as a result of that, you know, lockdown time that we had, we're now doing this um, and thankful for it. And, you know, I think for me during this period, there have been some very big insights and realisations right down to I realise how much I have lost myself hmm. in these last years hmm. by just fully immersing in the world of work and technology and you know, doing and creating, and that I've actually sacrificed family and well-being um, and even, you know, friendships and many things, and that's that's quite a, it's a very humbling and even, now that's something I don't really want to tell you and I don't really want to be putting on a podcast, but that's my truth. Um, I, and, and it's been a gift for me these last you know, nearly two months to be back on my land and 
you know, making veggie patches and working on the land and connecting with nature and the weather and, you know, that feeds me. But then on top of that, and more importantly than that, is to have family here and to realise how much I love family and how difficult family is. In fact, the biggest theme that I have heard speaking to people all over Australia and all over the world is about family. Family has been number one biggest theme and work has been the number two biggest theme. And the, and the family one is that, wow, wow, we have disconnected from our families and, and this having the family home for this period of time is really challenging because it's just not something that we do. And so many people have realised that their children have been brought up by institutions. Hmm. And, and in some countries, those institutions start at six months of age when the children first go to daycare and have their nappies changed by strangers um, and then to, to school and weekend care and after-school care and, um, and, and just the basicness of having your kids at home for six weeks for a lot of people has been a big challenge and a massive eye-opener. And, and the second one that's come out is around work and definitely for me and for many I've spoken to is this realisation that work has really dominated our lives beyond a point where it's healthy and that so many people are not just working to survive and to make a basic income and support their family, but it gets to a point where work becomes something else and is really taking people's vital spirit and, and, and is having a, even though we're working for our families, it's having a negative impact on our family. So something has been really out of balance. Um, and interestingly, the, the, those two things that tie in for me, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll just name it because, um, you know, my work has been around rites of passage. Um, and, and I've always tried to say, you know, I don't want to be labelled as a parenting expert. I, I, my interest is in rites of passage and the stages of rites of passage. But all along, I've realised we need good, sensible parenting and relationships within families in order to be able to get to rites of passage um, and to be able to do them well. So I've actually decided to completely transform my work and genuinely bring parenting into it and, and start. Um, something called transformational parenting where we just work with good basic principles of parenting, things like spend one-on-one -on -one time with your children, share your stories, when discipline is required, separate the person from the behaviour, you know, really teaching good principles for the day-to-day -day parenting and then creating at appropriate significant times in the lives of our children um, significant rites of passage events and it's actually not just for our, our children it's for ourselves and our own parents so we're celebrating and marking the important times of life and on top of that and as a result of that we build community along the way so my intention is to come out of this period very differently and very much to take what has been presented and, and the realisations from this period into the future, which is the reintegration part of the rite of passage. Beautiful. 
I love um, I love the humility of being changed by this situation. Mm. I felt quite a bit of shame. I have felt shame in this last period of, wow, I could have done that so much better, including my, my own personal parenting mm. and seeing how um, my children over the years have really needed me and there's been times when I've given to other children yes. what my own children have needed. Yes. Um, and that's like, that's a, that, that's a big thing. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in all of this. And, yeah, there's a lot of humility in realising um, aspects of, you know, my own parenting, my own place in the family. Hmm. There's a lot of stuff in there. And why would you choose humility? <laughs> you know, like parenting, you know, it's so ground zero of shame and humility because, you know, you wouldn't choose it unless it was life or death. You know, they, they survive by us showing up. They thrive yeah. by us showing up. And therefore yeah. um, it, you, you just can't avoid it and um, it's ground zero for such complex parts of ourselves. And, um, and there's a cycle and I've talked about it before of, um, you know, we, we have all this love for them and then we get so frustrated and angry with them and then we're back in love with them again and then we're frustrated and angry and then we're back in love with them again. And that can cycle through, you know, five, ten times in a day. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's quite an extraordinary thing. And I suppose when we think about and let's talk about reintegration maybe slightly more technically, Anna, because I'm sure people will be like, why the hell are these two talking about <laughs> the shame-love spiral of family dynamics? I think it's about, um, you know, as we're going to walk back into society and Australia and New Zealand are talking about having a, a bubble here between us um, of integration there are so many ways we can walk back into the world, if you will. What are the traditional understandings of how to do that well? Great. So first of all, I'm so glad that you asked me about the traditional ways because I, the way I work is if we look at the traditional ways, it gives us a model and then we go, okay, how do we translate that into our modern way? And, and in a traditional rite of passage, Whoever was going through the rite of passage at whatever age would be removed from the community. That's the separation, the first stage. They would go into a container and within that container there would be certain elements which would create a transformation before they came back. And the first two elements are the sharing of stories as a way of passing on wisdom and knowledge and building community. And then there's always a challenge and, or, and an ordeal. The third and fourth elements are the creation of a vision for the future and the recognition and naming of the gifts of the individual who's in the container and they are supposed to take those gifts into the future, into the community. So that sort of ties in with their vision. So in terms of what would have been done traditionally, creating this vision for the future and recognising our gifts is a critical part of reintegration because we actually have to know what we're bringing back and how we, how we want to be and how even we're expected to be. So if we're coming back as a young adult, then we're expected to act as a young adult and we get the 
privileges of being an adult. In this sort of rite of passage that we're going through as a, in the coronavirus pandemic, um, you know, this idea of creating a vision for how we want to be in the future and what gifts we can bring is as critically important. Now then traditionally, when we did come back, the whole community would be present. It would be a community gathering and together that the individual would be recognised by the community, seen by the community, and the whole community would actually go through a shift. So when we, when we bring that, what I'm talking about, into our context now, what that means is we have to, first of all, get really clear on our vision and our learnings from this period of time, and we should be capturing them. We should be writing them down or making our own personal videos of them or drawing them or something so that we have a reference point that we can come back to. And within that, um, we should also be really spending time thinking about, you know, what have I got to offer and how can I be, you know, the best and most alive and most authentic version of myself and really dedicating some time to that and ideally doing it with other people. Um, so in my e-course for parents and children growing together, one of the modules we actually get the parents and children together going through a process where they make a vision for the future, they recognise each other's gifts and, and then they actually talk about and document how they want to be when they leave this period. And, and, and when we do come out and we talk about this idea of the whole community being there, we have to think now, well, if the community is not going to be there naturally, how can we create community around this? What sort of events or what sort of ways can we do things so that our communities become aware of, recognise and can support us in what we have decided to do and how we are going to be? Because without community support, it is very, very challenging and difficult to genuinely maintain change. And I already hear so many people about talking about when things go back to normal. They're not supposed to go back to normal. And so if there's a, if there's a community expectation of things going back to normal, that's actually a bit of a problem. Shit, how are we going to do that? Like, well, when I'm we know the principles, it really helps. I'll give you just a really quick example. When I was 18, I went overseas for a year. I went to Israel. I was on a leadership course. I had a girlfriend. I travelled around Europe. To, you know, it was the most amazing growth, rites of passage, everything, you know, all the elements of a rite of passage were there. Incredible year. I came back after a year and no one had changed and no one saw me as having changed and no one wanted me to have changed and they just wanted me to be the old aunt. And it, one, it was one of the most difficult, confronting and challenging periods of my entire life because I'd gone through these enormous changes and no one had seen any different. And that was real. I actually got quite depressed for a significant period of time afterwards because I'd grown and yet I was still being treated like a child. And but actually, 23 years later, when I went overseas and I caught up with a bunch of my friends who'd been away with me that year, and they said they all went through the same thing. So there was zero appropriate reintegration. 
And what should have happened is when we came back, the community should have been there to meet us and there should have been a big dinner where we got to show all of our photos or slides in those days even and, and tell our stories and talk about our adventures and, you know, so that the community really genuinely got to see that I'd been through something, I'd learned, I'd grown, I was a different person, I had different experiences, and then I would have been treated differently. And just by knowing that we had to do that, we could have done it. So when you say, how can we do that, Miss Community Builder or Miss Love of Community Builder, you know, somehow, and whether it's through Dumbo Feather or whether it's through podcasts or, you know, we just need to be in whatever and any way we can mobilizing the community to listen to each other's stories, to listen to each other's visions, ideas, to support each other. There are actually many things we can do if we really put our mind to it and we have, I believe, a responsibility to be doing it. Yeah, and I love this. This question came up in our conversation series with Dumbo Feather yesterday where it's like you'd have to identify kind of your circles of influence, your your circles of connection. Like you have to start to think about who your community are and if you haven't got one, start one. And if you haven't got that, find it, you know, and it can be your family, it can be your neighbourhood, your street, your shire, your, yep. you know, it can be a group, you know, the literature society, like whoever it is, whatever gathering feels like your people, you start with those people. Absolutely. It can start with your family, having a family dinner, going, okay, well, we can see lockdown is missing. What have we learned? What have we seen on this, you know, what, what, what's come up for us? How do we want to be different when we go forward? How are we going to do that? What about we write it down? What about we make a film of it? What about we publish it on Facebook or Instagram? You know, any ways that we can do that, starting with ourselves, you know, think globally, act locally um, to really make sure that at every level, ourselves, our families, our communities, and if we have greater influence than that and we can get out into the broader community, fantastic. And it's through that sort of thing that I believe we will make, you know, the most change that we can. It's funny. And we will integrate in the best way. Because if you think about it, um, I'm going to use maybe something that's a strange analogy or maybe it's a perfect analogy, but the idea of addiction and recovery, you know, in so many ways the world we have left behind, the pre-corona world, was the world of addiction and consumption and extraction. Yeah. Uh, and competition and you know people who survive addiction will find AA they will find that very container you're talking about a journey through a rite of passage that will unpack all the you know the challenges and the gifts and um and then at the end they have community they have to stand up and give a speech about what they've kind of learnt and encountered on their recovery journey and then the community does hold it and stare back you know mirror back at them um, the gifts that they bring with them into their reintegration into society so there's this is modeled i think in so many powerful and potent ways um, in the world and i love the idea of you know, change that holds is change that's held by community. When people see that yes. you've said, this is who I want to be on the other side of yeah. coronavirus and just remind me of that if I fall away, you know? 
Yeah, and especially powerful is when parents do that in front of their children. And, and one of the things I've said all along is that this is a transformational period for our children. And they will, one of the things that happens in a transformational period is our psyches open and we become very sensual and aware of, we become, our senses become hyper aware and then they get implanted in our psyche, which then closes when we leave the space. And for our children, their psyches, their liminal space, as I call it, is very open at the moment. So they will remember in great detail everything, you know, so many things that happens or has happened in this period. And in 20, 30 years' time, your son Leo, who's how old is he now? Seven, seven eight, six, seven. Leo, in 20, 30 years' time, will be able to tell you in great detail things that have happened during this period. And so that creates a responsibility for us as parents and we want to make sure that one of the things that they see us doing is genuinely able to acknowledge the things that we've learned, including the things that we want to change, making commitments to do certain things and to change certain things and to bring new things in and then doing it. And so just to know that whatever we do is going to influence our children and because it's going to influence our children, that will then influence our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. <laughs> so the, you know, the actual responsibility of this period is really enormous. so moving you know it reminds me of um when someone said to me i think it's an ancient concept i'm sure it is which is when you have your grandchild sitting on your lap if you get that lucky you are touching 200 years back and 200 years forward yeah because you sat on yeah. your grandmother's lap and they yeah. will have their grandchild on her grandmother's and it's and and that um that feels really significant, doesn't it? It's so hard for us to see ourselves as significant in the arc of time. And the forces of mendacity and kind of, you know, I had this conversation the other, they, they feel great um, that we are up against a theory of who we are as a species on the planet that has been proving itself in the 20th and into the 21st century of self, the selfish gene. And I argued with this about with someone the other day. I think that we always have a choice and we are always making choices. And so there's this exquisite, obvious moment now where we get to choose again. And I, I hope, like you do, that we choose wisely. And yeah. I feel that, I would love to make that statement around the dinner table to my kids. And I know that Willow, my daughter, who is quite an amazing human being and she's big on fairness and justice, will hold me to any of my <laughs> intentions and so she should and that I will fail, you know, um, and I will choose again. And I think that yeah. that's really important that we lean into an intention for how we want to be on the other side of this and and just keep 
committing to that intention, even if, you know, on Monday we did a bad job of it, but on Tuesday we return. And I had a really wise friend um, actually say to me the other day that because I was saying, you know, the forces of darkness and evil will, you know, are looking for the extraction economy and people are going to want to grab and the stimulus package is being used for fossil fuels and, and you know, there's all these people trying to grab for power and, and gain. And she said, look, we can use this time we have had, this incredible, impossible, exquisite pause for developing a certain part of ourselves that when we come out of it, we're ready for a fight. But if we do that, we have not created the conditions for the alternative. So if we want the conditions of collaboration, communication, cooperation, kindness, compassion, if we haven't been cultivating that intentionality and that soil inside of us, individually, in our homes, in our families, in our children, in our et cetera, then that will, th- those conditions will not be available on the other side. Okay. And I thought that that was so exquisitely expressed. I hope I expressed it just now in a coherent fashion. And I thought, well, I can commit to that. That feels worthy and practical and like a really great idea. Even if on the other side there is a fight, it'll take a lot to, you know, wind me up to get me into that adrenalised place. And I hope that I could counter it with having really, really nurtured the soil of compassion during this time. Mm. Does that make sense? Total sense. Absolutely. You know, and and therein lies a challenge for each of us. Um, You know, I I keep coming back to it. This period of time has, yes, I think we always need to acknowledge, created great suffering for many around the world, people who've lost loved ones and, and, and economically for a lot of people it's been incredibly difficult. Um, all of that, and I believe that actually creates more of a responsibility for those of us who can find the opportunities in this to find as much opportunity as we can and that that opportunity is not actually for our own personal gain but to find opportunities that actually benefit the community. That's the ultimate. If out of something like this we can create ways to benefit the community from what we learn or what we decide or what we, you know, commit to doing, then it actually, you know, becomes um, on many levels a positive outcome. And, you know, we, we were talking about it, you know, way back when it was all starting. This is our chance for a complete, this is the reset. This is the chance for it. It's not necessarily the reset. It's an opportunity for a reset. And, you know, we've had six weeks, two months, and, you know, yes, we'd like longer and some of us or different things, but it, every person has really had an opportunity to think about what's important in life and ha- how they want to be moving forwards. And, you know, we, we, you know, I don't know how many times to say it, but we need to do that because we are in a critical place. 
We, we are, you know, the world is at risk on multiple levels. And if we don't actually really take heed of what's being um, presented now, the next time around, it may be way more severe. You know, we think this has been severe, but there's whole other levels of what could happen in the world and we, we don't want to get to that point. We really do need to turn things around and all of those things start individually and then as a family and then as a community and then as, a, you know, as global um, stewards of this beautiful earth that we live on. Well, my friend, I, I feel committed. I feel restored um, by this time and I acknowledge the gift of that and I feel renewed in my commitment. It's sort of more potent and I really, I, I, I commit to my love of, of this world and my, my vision for a hopeful future for my children and my grandchildren and everyone's children and grandchildren. And I want to live the rest of my life in a kind of devotional gift to that, that, that vision. It feels like a great way to spend your time on earth, you know, like yeah. I know there are cynical options. I, I get that. Um, they have terrible outcomes. Yeah. And if you're a, prag and, you know, if that, you're a pragmatist, you're you know. What you're describing was the traditional way. You know, um, a friend of mine talked about how when he went up into some of the remote Indigenous communities and he goes, you wouldn't believe it, the children, they just run amok. They just, they're all over the place and when there are meetings going on, the children are there climbing all over people and making noise and completely disrespectful and, you know, he said it's extraordinary. But when they reach a certain age, they shift and they become a community member. And, and they allow the children in their first years, their first 12, 13 years, to really be children and to really explore self and selfishness and doing what they want when they want. And, and, and that's considered normal and appropriate. But then at a certain point, which is when they create the rite of passage, from then on, everyone in the community recognises fundamentally that they are an integral part of that community and they have a gift to offer the community. I mean, a gift is only a gift if you give it away. Otherwise, it's just an object or a possession. And, and everyone gets to this point of, you know, my role, my actual role in life is to support this community that I'm in and to do it not just from obligation but actually from our heart because it's what we want to do and it's what gives us joy is actually supporting our communities, our families, our relationships. Um, and, and as I say, not because that's going to benefit us, but because it's going to benefit the community. And then, you know, kind of almost paradoxically, by benefiting the community, we benefit as well. All right, Dr. Anna, my friend. Um, we are going to answer a question now.
that came through for us that was pretty magnificent. I'd nearly forgotten about it because we got so into it. Um, let's answer this incredible question. Underlying everything I do is the motivation to be part of creating a new system and culture for my children and the generations to come to inherit. I will definitely start learning how to honour the gifts my children bring to break the cycle for them, but I am not sure how to do that for myself. How do you know what gift you have if what you bring is not wanted or honoured by the community? Where do you go from there? Um, in your words, we will be reintegrating into the process of hospicing the old system and birthing the new. How do we honour the gifts we bring in ourselves that are not valued now but hold potential in the new system? And how as a community do we recognise the potential of those gifts in a new system when they don't necessarily hold value in the current one or the old one, I might argue? I suspect the job of my generation is to plant the oak trees for our children to climb up and rest under even if we may never enjoy those things. What honours our work so we may feed our bellies and our souls during this process? Yes, I I kind of lost sleep over that question <laughs> when I read it, when it came through a couple of days ago, because it is a profoundly beautiful and important question. When, when our gifts are not actually recognised or honoured by the community and it therefore comes to ourselves, how, you know, how do we do that? How do we even discover our gifts? And... Really what we're talking about here is cultural change. You know, how can we create a culture that actually has an intention of discovering and bringing out the gifts of each individual, which was actually traditionally the way that it was done. And whether it's called the gifts of the individual or the, the Indigenous communities used to call it the spirit of the individual, you know, it doesn't matter. It's that same thing. It's finding what is really inside a person, what their strengths, their genius is. And it is a cultural change, and cultural change is not an easy thing to create, but it is possible. And rites of passage are actually one of the things that do that. And, you know, we've been talking about being in a global rite of passage. So... Um, if there's no one to do it there for us, then we have to do it ourselves. And, 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 you know, I have in my life created rituals and ceremonies for myself that should have been created by others, but because they were not there, I created them myself because it was like, I, and I'm not going to miss out on that because it's too fundamentally important to my, you know, evolution as a, as a person and so to our to the person who wrote th this question um you know we need to find ways to create the retreats and, and uh containers uh which we may do it in our bedroom we may do it in the forest we may do it by going away but it's that it's that deep inquiry into who am I and, and, and what do I bring? Uh, and then if we can be doing that for our families, for our friends, for our loved ones, you know, actually seeking to recognise what their gifts and their genius and their spirit uh, is and, and naming it, 
and and progressively we turn it around and we become a culture that does that as opposed to a culture which brings people down and wants to make everyone the same. What a beautiful answer and what an incredibly poignant and difficult one to say that you would have to do the hard work of reclaiming what our ancestors would have provided for us. And if we think it's important enough, we will do that. We will light a fire at sunrise and and honour our own gifts and practise really hard things like an inner loving mother and an inner loving father. And maybe there are things that are missing from your capacity to acknowledge yourself, but to do that for oneself, it's very poignant, it's very beautiful and um even as simple as our last podcast conversation where you asked me my vision for the future, like these things are actually not hard to invoke, but once they are invoked that we lean into committing to doing them um, and answer that question of your vision for the future, answer it over a a fire you light, you know, in your fireplace or outside in your garden at five o'clock in the morning as yeah. the birds come awake and come alive and the world comes awake and, and bringing that kind of mythopoetic into the everyday as a point of almost resistance to that sameness and that consumerism and that and to know that we are the bridge to the next iteration of humanity on the planet. We are it. It's happening yeah. inside of us. And then and then what we hold and what we honour, even if it's radical becomes the future of beauty and becomes the way of being for the future. It made me think her letter when I read it of Van Gogh. I mean, he never he never lived to understand that a pot of flowers he painted would one day sell for $100 million, which is neither here nor there because the financial kind of it just shows you the worth and the value that is now on that painting, which was really just a man kind of living into his gift during his yeah. time on earth and it ultimately was validated by him doing it. He did it. And I want to say as well in the answer to this question um, that for me I heard at the end a kind of lament and a wail about not being able to find necessarily a job that expresses the new economy paradigms and the new world order as as we've been talking about it, love, compassion, kindness, community, connection, um, and that, you know, we are compromised or we may not find a footing in the old economy in the old world and that kind of misfit encounter, you know. I don't, I don't fit in the old world. It's extractive. It's competitive. It's all those things. And I just want to say I hear you, anyone listening to this who's, who's feeling that lament and that wail, and we are in a process of transformation and I can't say it enough. Don't rage against the machine. Keep trying to create and co-create with the generative forces that are out in the world. There's a lot of good stuff happening, but a lot of people, like the, the floor has fallen out of the economy and the way that we did all of this. And nobody knows how it will be remade on the other side. So there is a kind of element of faith and trust that you're going to have to have that if you lean in with the right intention, you will be met by a holding. Sounds esoteric, but I don't think it is. I think it's um, it's quite real. And I struggle with faith and trust as well, that 
all will be well in the end, you know, um, and we only get this one precious life, so we were already lucky on so many levels. Dr. Anna Rubenstein, thank you so much, and I want to honour in you just the the extraordinary wisdom and capacity and clarity and love and connectedness that you bring to everything you do and the model you are of a man in the world. For me, it's been so healing just to know you and be in relationship with you and to have a new faith restored in the capacity for men, for grown adult men, to be leaning into these healing ideas, to be trying, to be practising, to be failing, to be succeeding, to be lovingly wanting wholeness and connection and community. You've taught me so much and you've healed so much in me and my own story. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. And uh, I love you. I love you too.